When Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th this year, the war brought both states to the international stage. Russia and Ukraine have a long history of conflict throughout the 20th century following the Russian Revolution. BU News Service's Dolores Chang sat with Joseph Whipple, a BU international relations professor and former CIA officer, to discuss the origins of the recent events. Uh, Ukraine uh, was a part of Russia uh, for a long, long time. Uh, you know, as certainly that's one aspect of this, uh, the history of it. Uh, for hundreds of years, Ukraine was a part of Russia. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the treatment uh, of Ukraine by Russians, uh, especially under the, uh, uh, when uh, Joseph Stalin uh, was the dictator of the Soviet Union, I mean, they call him a dictator. Uh, and, uh, you know, in order to make Ukraine subservient, especially for agricultural collectivization, uh, uh, the uh, uh, literally starved 4 million uh, Ukrainians to death. And by the way, no one knows exactly what that number is. Some say 3 million, some say 5 million. So I just chose 4 million. Uh, but as you well know, starving people to death, you know, by stealing all their food, destroying all their food is a, is a nasty way to die. And so, you know, the Ukrainians had some really hard feelings vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Russians, uh, which were partially reflected uh, when the Germans invaded Ukraine uh, in 1941, 1942. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of history both ways, uh, uh, even before uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union. The Great Famine of Ukraine known as the Holodomor, happened in 1933. Nearly 60 years later, the Soviet Union's collapse brought Ukraine to the forefront of international affairs. Ukraine had the third largest stockpile of nuclear weapons in the world in 1991. But in 1994, Ukraine gave them up after Russia, the United States, and the UK signed an agreement recognizing Ukraine's sovereignty. Probably some Ukrainians are regretting now that they did. Uh, but I think it's a good thing that they gave up uh, their nuclear weapons. I think uh, it's a, it's a, it would be a good thing for everyone to give up their nuclear weapons, uh, not just the uh, Ukrainians. Russia did recognize Ukraine's sovereignty according to the treaty, at least for 20 years. But in April 2014, Russia invaded Ukraine and annexed the Crimean Peninsula. Uh, first of all, uh, Crimea had been part of Russia uh, until I think that sometime in the 1950s or even in the early 1960s, uh, when uh, the first secretary of the Communist Party, in other words, the dictator of the Soviet Union, uh, gave, so to speak, gave it to Ukraine or made it part of uh, Ukrainian administration. Um, so uh, in a way, you could make, number one, the argument that they were getting Crimea back. Uh, number two, you could make the argument, well, those are Russian speakers. You know, basically it is a Russian speaker um, uh, providence. And that's what I thought <laughs> Mr. Putin was going to do in Donbras and I think I can't pronounce the other province. But Ukraine is not Crimea, and the differences between both invasions are important to discuss. Uh, but he, he went way beyond that. Uh, in what I would call an all-out attack on the neighboring state. And so that makes it considerably, totally different. If he had limited himself to those two areas, 
I think there would have been more sanctions, more talk. The same year, Ukraine, Russia, Germany, and France signed the Minsk Accords. The agreements were designed to stop war in eastern Ukraine, but they weren't effective. Well, I think uh, the Minsk Accord uh, had uh, a lot in common with the <laughs> Dayton agreements in the sense that it stops the fighting or it stops maybe the worst of the fighting, uh, but doesn't really, you know, uh, move ahead to, to solve anything. Uh, and uh, I think the, the basis of the Minsk Accord to some extent uh, was the fact that um, uh, there were discussions or promises of autonomy uh, for the greater Russian-speaking parts uh, of Ukraine uh, and uh, so on. Uh, so, I, you know, that's about, but it, it, it wound up, it's been essentially, it was, I think, Germany, France, uh, Ukraine, uh, Russia, uh, and it never, never really got much further than that. Since the Accords has so little effect on the situation, one wonders, was there another way to prevent the conflict? Well, I think, uh, you know, the, uh, the best way would have been uh, not to attack a neighboring state, you know. And, um, uh, you know, uh, what is, uh, has been an all-out military attack against that uh, neighboring state. Um, and that... Uh, uh, you know, I've, a lot of been, been a lot of criticism of the uh, uh, the president's comment in Warsaw about you got to get rid of this guy. Well, I, I don't see any alternative now. He either has to win. Putin has to win. And there has been a lot of criticism on how political figures are handling the situation. Been a lot of criticism of the. Uh, uh, the president's comment in Warsaw about you got to get rid of this guy. Well, I, I don't see any alternative now. He either has to win, Putin has to win. Uh, the best he could hope for is to survive with a large chunk of Ukraine uh, now being part of Russia, uh, some kind of, of ceasefire. Uh, but I, I, I don't think that's achievable. I, I think, I think it, this in some way is going to uh, force him uh, to leave office. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, so it's hard to make predictions on how things are going to happen. Uh, but the, the Ukrainians have done very well in fighting off the Russians. Uh, Russian morale is obviously very low. Uh, and um, I think uh, uh, Mr. Putin and uh, Russia are going to suffer severely uh, for what they have just engaged in. And amidst the conflict, many are surprised by how the countries are performing, more specifically the Ukrainian resistance. Uh, number one, the, uh, uh, I think the expectation that the Ukrainians would fight as effectively as they have fought uh, was a bit unexpected. Also unexpected was just how poorly uh, the uh, Russian forces have um, uh, fought. Now with time, with, you know, I mean, if it's an infinite number of time, uh, the, uh, the Russians will probably prevail. I mean, if it goes on for half a year or a year, 
but what's going to be left over for Russia, I really don't know. I'm very skeptical and very pessimistic about what's going to happen to Russia. Meanwhile, you know, uh, destroying Ukraine uh, does not seem to be a, uh, uh, you know, a smart policy on behalf by the Russians. And what does the future look like? I think there's going to be an insurgency uh, in Ukraine, uh, which will last uh, possibly for years. Um, I think uh, they're going to get a lot of assistance uh, from uh, the United States and and other uh, Western uh, countries uh, to engage in this type of insurgency. Yet, I don't see that happening either. (laughs) I mean... That just does not, um, I mean, I think there'd be a successful insurgency if you ask with the, of course it'd be in a, because one thing that you don't really get in the newspapers much, you actually don't get it in the newspapers at all. Uh, but uh, there are a lot of people in Central and Eastern Europe that have a common denominator. They hate the Russians, the Poles, the Czechs, Slovaks, uh, you know, and the Ukrainians. Uh, They feel that they have been under the Russian boot uh, uh, a great deal of their history, and they really, really hate the Russians. So I would expect, you know, that uh, the resistance is going to uh, continue. And in that sense, I think also that Mr. Putin is living in a little bit of a dream world. Last year, Russia started to build its military along the Ukrainian borders with minimum response from the U.S. and Europe. One wonders what could have been done differently to prevent the escalation of this conflict. Well, I mean, uh, President Zelensky has said (laughs) you should have issued the sanctions before they invaded us. However, you know, it's, it's virtually impossible to do something like that before it happened. 